0: Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. I'm Jared Kirk, lead pastor of Renewal Church. Glad that you joined us. I know you take a risk. A lot of you are first-time guests here today, and anytime you come to a new church, you're like, man, this is a big deal for me. Are they gonna? How many snakes are they going to be handling? Are they going to be waving the banners? And so it's a big risk. I thank you for taking that with us today. I hope that over time you get connected. You get connected to God and some great people that help you grow spiritually, and get connected relationally. We are talking about change that lasts a lifetime, and I'd like to say um, happy January 17th to all of you. I know it's, that's not today's date, but it happened this week, and it was a big holiday. MLK Day is coming up. We're going to celebrate that, but does anybody know what January 17th is? It's National Stop Keeping Your Resolutions Day. That's right. The average amount of time that it takes someone to stop keeping their New Year's resolution is January 17th. And Heather and I celebrated by going on date night to Penguin Pizza in Mission Hill. So we did our part. I hope you did your part. You know, the series is called Change That Lasts a Lifetime because here's the deal. It's easy to change for a little while, isn't it? It's easy to change for a couple of weeks. It's easy to have a little bit of willpower for a little bit of time. But that sort of deep, meaningful change that that lasts a lifetime man, that's, that's hard to get. And today we're talking about the power of your mind and your thoughts in creating that kind of lasting change in your life that you long for. Um, and I wanted to share a little bit about my own story along the way. Be, maybe share a little bit more personally than I do sometimes say, because this is something God had to do in my life. And it's one of the reasons why my wife Heather and I started this church six years ago. Uh, we moved here seven years ago, was because of God had done this work of changing my thinking and it was so profound in my life that I was like, man, I want other people to experience the same thing. What happened for me was I was, you know, I've been married for 14 years, nailed it. Um, I got the nod on the front row, like, correct. Um, I've been married for 14 years and in the beginning of my marriage, um, I was relatively unhappy. And that's a hard thing to say out loud, right? You're supposed to be happily ever after when you get married, but I was relatively unhappy. And I was showing off my foolishness and my immaturity by thinking that it was all my wife's fault. And here's the way that that negative cycle of thinking would happen in my life and in my marriage that led me to a place of unhappiness. Um, This is usually how it went. I would feel entitled to something like it was my wife's job to make me happy. And then when I didn't get what I wanted, I would blame her for not getting it and for not making me happy. After that, I would ignore how I had contributed to the situation, and then I would deny that I had sinned at all and that, or that I needed to change. It was all her fault and that she needed to change. Finally, I would demonstrate my incredible godliness and maturity by pouting about it to make sure she knew how unhappy I was, and then I would feel resentful that I was stuck in this marriage that was not happy. Um, Basically, I was practicing the unholy trinity of unhealthy relationships, ignore, deny, and blame. Maybe, maybe some of you have been there. And so it was not exactly a joy to be married to me, um, but I was pretty sure that I was amazing. So I'm gonna tell you about the change that God caused in my life in just a second, but before I do that, I want you to think about the words that I use to describe my life. Entitled, ignorant. Living in denial, blaming, resentment—those are not action words. Those are thought words. Those are attitude words. See, what was causing unhappiness in my marriage was my thought life, my perception of the situations, and then my response, my unhealthy responses to that. All of that was happening in my mind. My unhappiness was a result of my broken thinking. Now, God has changed the way that I think over the years and he's done this profound and powerful change in me that led to this place where I realize the treasure that I have in my wife. I'm very 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 happy. Very very happy to be married to my wife today and so much of that was due to a change in my thinking where that entitlement was replaced with gratitude, right? And the, the denial and the blame were replaced with taking responsibility. And, you know, we could go through those changes. But the big point of this is that um, when my thinking changed, my relationship with my wife changed for good in deep, meaningful ways. And it wasn't quick. It was not a quick change, but it was a lasting change. And I, I really see it like this. Knowing God and following the way of Jesus saved my marriage, that if I didn't have Jesus in my life, there, I don't know that I would still be married. I just don't think that I would. Maybe I would still be married, but I would still be unhappy because I would be stuck in that pattern of broken thinking. And like I said, this is why I started Renewal Church, why we started Renewal Church six years ago, because I watched God change my life, and I believe he can change your life. And part of that is changing the way you think about the circumstances and the relationships in your life. And so the question for you today is, in what ways is your thought life broken? Because all of us have broken, unhealthy thoughts in some way. And so I wrote down some signs that your thought life is broken in your teaching handout. It looks like this. If you're going to go ahead and take some notes today, if you're a note taker, pull this out. These will be in your notes, but not on the screen. So here's some signs that my thought life is broken. Number one, excessive anxiety. That low-grade fear about the future that can be absolutely crippling to where you can't even move or act, that's based on worry, but it's worry amplified to a hundred times. Worry is just imagining the future without God in it. It's thinking about the future and saying, you know, when I get there, I'm not sure God's going to be faithful. I'm not sure he's going to protect me. I'm not sure he's going to provide for me. I don't know if tomorrow is going to be okay. And when that worry gets amplified into anxiety, that low-grade fear It can absolutely cripple your life. That's a sign that your thought life is broken. Another one is believing lies. Believing lies about yourself. Believing lies about God, about the relationships and the people that you're in. Another sign that your thought life is broken is depression. There's lots of different kinds and levels of depression. Some of it is anger that's turned in on yourself. I've been in that place in my life where I cannot get out of bed in the morning. Maybe you've been there. My thought life was broken. Uh, another sign, bitterness, that, that, um, that low-grade anger buzzing in the background. It's like you're living under um, high-voltage power lines. It's just crackling in the background about this person or this circumstance in your past that you cannot forgive. That's living with bitterness or hopelessness, thinking that what I do today doesn't matter. Maybe what happens tomorrow won't matter either. Here's another one to write down, negative patterns. Um, most of us know a friend that keeps ending up with the same messed up people in the same messed up relationships over and over and over again. Anybody have that friend? You know, if you're sitting next to him, don't point, okay? But here's the thing. So many times that friend is actually us. And we find ourselves living out that same negative pattern over and over and over again, and we don't know why. And it's really because our thinking is broken, and that's showing up in the way that we pick people to be in relationships with or the situations that we find ourselves in. Or the last one is destructive habits. These things that we just cannot stop doing we wish we could. We wanna stop, but we can't stop. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but you're like, how am I not in control of me? Like, here's this thing. I don't wanna do this thing. Aren't I in control of me? But I can't stop doing this thing. How does that work? Your, your, your life is out of control. You lack self-control. You have these destructive habits in your life. That's a sign that your thought life is broken. Now, before we move on from this, I wanna just stop and address this really important thing because some of you are thinking right now, hey, wait a second, what about mental illness? Because are you blaming people who are mentally ill and they, 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 okay, well, here's what I want to say about that. Mental illness is a real thing, but that doesn't mean that you can't take responsibility for the thoughts that you can control, right? No matter whether you are, uh, you have no mental illness in your life, a little bit of mental illness or lots of mental illness, your life and your, your life will be improved if you take responsibility for the thoughts that you can control. I hope you would agree with that. And so today, what we're thinking about is simply this, like, how can I change the way that I think so that that deep and meaningful change that God longs for in my life can come to happen? It will still make a big difference in your life. And if you suffer from mental illness, you know, this is just as important for you, perhaps more so than anyone else. So here's the deal. All of us have some thinking that needs to change. If you want to see lasting change in your life, if you just change your behavior, but you don't change your thoughts, your changes will not last. If you only change your behavior, but your thinking's still broken, you're gonna end up like everyone else in the world with their broken thinking. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in the world who have broken life circumstances that come from broken thinking. And when I, if, I, if you're wondering who that is, think about the people you graduated from high school with. You see... If you're thousands of dollars in debt, it's probably because you think about money like everyone else does. Everyone in in our society thinks about money in a broken way and they end up thousands of dollars in credit card debt. And if you end up in debt, it's probably because, now I'm not Nostradamus up here, but it's probably because you have broken thoughts about money. If you're in a fragile and unhappy marriage, it's because you think about marriage and relationships the same way that everyone else does. If you can't let go of regret in your past, it's because you think about forgiveness in relationships like everyone else does. If you can't change the destructive habits in your life, it's because you think about yourself and about change like everyone else in the world does. If you feel distant from God, it's because you think about God and spirituality the same way everyone else does. If your kids are out of control, making you out of control, something I would never have experience with, it's because you think about children and parenting the same way everyone else does. If you think like everyone else in the world thinks, you're gonna end up with the same kind of problems everyone else in the world has. God has a different way for you to think. He is committed to helping you change the way you think, and it will change your life. I want you to see today, from the Bible, the value that God places on the power of your mind in thinking and lasting change. And this is really important here, right? Because so far, everything you've heard from me today, you could tune into Oprah and hear the exact same thing right? God, though, in God's word, he has a way of thinking that is different from the way the world thinks, and you end up with different outcomes in your life when you think about God, yourself, your life, the way that God does. So I want you to look with me at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Now, this is in your handout, and it's going to be on the screen, and it's actually going to be really helpful if you're able to look at this verse, because the way it's structured helps make the point. Let me read it to you, and then we'll talk about what it means. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this was a letter written to Christians. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're investigating Jesus or the the claims of Christ, then this is great. You get to listen in and hear like, What do these Christians think about what the power that your mind has in creating change in your life? And there's nothing in this for you to obey because you're not a follower of Jesus. You get to just try out these principles and see if they work in your life. But if you're a Christian and you want to live like Jesus lived, this is one of those non-negotiable things that you have to pursue and change in your life to live like Jesus. And what is this verse saying? Well, first it says that there's a former way of life and it calls it the old self right? You got to put off your old self. It's kind of, put off is weird language. It's sort of some, it's, it's like using a clothing metaphor. You gotta, You got to take off, you got to put off the old self. Now, what is that? That's, for the Christian, that is the you that you want to leave behind. It's the broken life. It's the unhealthy past. It's the habitual sin. It's the regrets and relationships that you're trying to move on from. And what characterizes the old self? It's deceitful desires. Now, if you've got your teaching notes, you may want to circle that phrase because that's important, deceitful desires. Now, what characterizes the old self, the life you're coming out of, is deceitful desires. What's a deceitful desire? That's easy. It's anything that you think will make you happy but leaves you wanting more right? That, it, it's a, there's a lie buried in that desire. I, I want it. I desire it. I think it's going to make me happy, but it's going to leave me wanting more. Can you think of anything like that? Well, money works like that, right? I think it's going to make me happy, but in the end, it leaves me wanting more. Sex works like that. Power works like this. Re- recognition works like this. Food works like this. That's what just drew me right into the doors of Penguin Pizza, you think it's going to make you happy, and in the end, it's just all shame and pepperoni grease. Alcohol works like this. Affection from other people works like this. You're desperate for it. You want it. It's going to make me happy, but then I get it, and then I, in the end, I want more. What else in your life has worked like this? I think it's going to make me happy. It leaves me wanting more. That's a deceitful desire, and that characterizes An old self, a way of life that we're trying to move on from. Okay. The Bible says that the deceitful desires corrupt the old self. What does corrupt mean? It means it makes something, it rots it. That's what corrupt is. It's decaying. It's dying. So when you pursue deceitful desires, you end up rotten. You end up unhappy. You end up unfulfilled with your life falling apart. That's the bad news. But in this passage, it also talks not about that old self. It talks about the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What is the new self? It's just this. It's the me I want to be when God is in my life. That's the new self. It's who I want to be. It's a life marked by holiness, which is just a life completely dedicated to God. So there's no little corner. There's no little dark corner you know, cobweb-infested corner of my life that I don't yield to God. My whole life is his. That's what it means to be holy. It says, "In true righteousness. It's not self-righteousness, which is about loving me and everybody seeing how important I am. It's true righteousness, which is about loving God wholeheartedly and loving other people. It's living a God-first life. Now, we've got the old self and the new self So the me I want to leave behind, the me I want to be when God is in my life, and what stands between the old self and the new self? Look at it. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Your thoughts stand between the life you want and the life you want to leave behind. It's literally sandwiched right in the middle of the old self and the new self. Your thoughts stand between the life you want and the life you want to leave behind. So you've got to change your thinking to change your life. And God is committed to help you in that process. Now, I wanted to show you as well today that this is not one verse in the Bible that teaches this. This is a theme that runs through the whole New Testament. So I'm gonna show you Romans 12:2, And I want you to notice how it says it's something essentially the exact same in different words. Romans 12 too says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, what is that? It's like a mold. It's like, it's like a mold. It's what everybody thinks. It's what all your friends think, all your family thinks, all your professors think, all the hosts on TV think, all your podcasts think. It's a mold. It's a, it's a pattern of this world. And he says, don't be pressed into that mold or the outcome of your life is going to be like the outcome of everybody else's messed up life. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed, transformed into something new by changing the way that you think. Then you'll be able to test what and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The easy thing to do is to go along with the crowd and think what everyone else thinks. You just conform to the patterns of this world. You won't face any resistance at all. But you also won't have any idea what God's will is for your life. You'll miss out on the goodness of God's will for your life, the perfection of God's will for your life, this pleasing, will for your life you'll miss out on that you won't be able to discern it so what do you have to do you have to let your mind be renewed if you want to be different than everyone else you can't think like everyone else so here's what i want to do for the remainder of our time today i want to talk about how to renew your mind and i thought this would be a good message to make it as practical and applicable as possible because if i say hey we've got to renew our mind and change our thinking you know you can go like great How do I do that? Because we don't often think about our thought life or how to change our thought life. And so the rest of our time today is five ways that we can actually renew our mind to try to get as practical as possible to think like God thinks so we can experience the deep and meaningful change that God wants us to have. So here it is, ready? To renew my mind, I, number one, ask God to give me his perspective. I gotta ask him for it. If you wanna think differently than everyone else, you don't need just a different perspective or a new perspective. You need God's perspective. You know, if you've ever been in charge of a team at work or at school or you've been in charge of a project and you've been the lead on it and someone who was on your team did something kind of crazy and you think to yourself, why did they do that? It's because they don't have your perspective. If they could see everything that you could see as the team leader, then they would act differently. Listen, the same is true with God. If you, think about this, if you could see everything that God could see about your life and your relationships, and you knew everything that God knew about your life and your relationships, do you think you would make better decisions? You better believe, like we all would, right? So when we gain God's perspective, we start to make better decisions. The Bible talks about this when it uses the language of the mind of God, and here's what it says. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Well, that makes sense. Who knows God's mind? The Spirit of God. But then look what it says is true of Christians. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. When you have the Holy Spirit, you can understand God's way of thinking. You can understand every good thing He's given you. He's given you forgiveness of your past, eternal life for your future, and the power to change today. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. And when you've got the Spirit in your life, God helps you to understand that. God wants you to have that perspective so that your life can change. Now, if you're a Christian, this might just mean pausing and praying. Like, how do you get his perspective? You need to stop and pray and say, God, how do you see this situation? God, help me to see this person the way that you see this person. Uh, have you ever heard of an EGR? That's, an, that's a person that is extra grace required. You ever work with an, EG, an extra grace required person? Any of you, an extra grace required person? Turn to the person next to you, tell them you need extra grace. Go ahead. Some people need a little bit more grace in their lives than others. But when you encounter difficult people, sometimes it's just, it's just as simple as stopping and saying, God, how do you see this person? And that might, I remember, I remember this didn't happen to me for, um, it, with my family until I hit my 30s. And I said, you know, I started to see my family the way that God saw them. And I started to realize that part of the reason that they're so messed up is because they're hurting. And I actually gained some compassion for my parents, and some compassion for my sister and my, and my family. And when I started to see them God's way, it just changed the way I related to them. So if you're a Christian, it might just be praying and asking God, God, what do you think about this? But let me tell you this for a second. If you're not a Christian, and you're kind of on the fence about faith, then you probably don't have God's perspective on things. The, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to people when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. And then you understand, you have God's perspective on things, you have God's power to change in your life, and until you cross that line of faith, you're always going to be struggling. You're always going to start to change and then revert back. You're, you're going to lack the power that you need to change because you don't have God in your life. And so for some of you, the very first step to the change in your life that you need is gaining God's perspective by coming to him and saying, God, I need you in my life. And the Bible says the way that you get God in your life, the way that you get the Holy Spirit is you come to him and say, God, I've tried to change on my own. I've completely failed. I need someone to forgive me. I need someone to lead me. I want to follow after Jesus, and I need your Holy Spirit. I need your power to change. And when you come to him and you put your life in his hands, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the mind of God. You get the power to change. Now, you might be scared to put your, hand, your life in Jesus' hands. I get it. You might be, you might be a control person, Are any of you control people? Yup, we've got hands going up around the room because you're trying to control the answer to this question right now. And you say, I don't wanna put my life in God's hands. What's he gonna do? Then I'm gonna lose control. I have, for goodness sakes, I have a five-year plan and Jesus is not a part of it. He's gonna ruin my five-year plan. I have a spreadsheet. You know who you are. Adam, you're out there. I I know you're out there. But listen, here's why you can put your life in Jesus' hands and give him control. When I got married to Heather, um, I was giving up a lot of control over my life. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you get married, you give up a lot of control of your life. I haven't picked what show we've watched in 14 years. I've seen multiple seasons of Downton Abbey. I know the intricacies of British royal families now. She's in control. But there's bigger things than that too, right? Now, why did I trust her with that kind of control in my life? Was it because of how much I loved her? It was because of how much she loved me. And I knew that I could give up control in my life and put it in Heather's hands because of how much she loved me. Now, if Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, isn't that someone you could trust with your life? You better believe it is. And so when you come to him and put your life in his hands, you gain God's perspective and it it creates real change in your life. Now, if you would, before we move on to the next point, take out this connection card that you were handed when you came in here today. Because on the back, it says, my next step today, and one of them is to put my faith in Jesus to be my forgiver and my leader. And if you've never taken that step before, I'm going to give you the chance to do that at the end of the sermon today. And I'm going to pray a prayer at the end of the service, and it's going to sound something like this. It's going to say, God, I need you to forgive my sins and lead my life. I know that I'm broken. I need a Savior, and I want to follow Jesus, so today I'm putting my life in your hands. And if God's calling you to do that today, you can do that. At the end of this service today, you'll have a chance to pray with me, and you can check that box, and uh, we send you an email and a packet in the mail to help you get started. All right. So number one, I got to have God's perspective. I need to ask for God's perspective. The second thing I can do to renew my mind, don't believe everything I think. If I want my mind renewed, I can't believe everything I think. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the mind. And while your thoughts are important in helping you understand reality, they do not define reality. In fact, it's often the case that human beings believe lies. I don't know if you found this out yet or not, but we believe lies all the time. Lies about ourselves, lies about others, lies about God. Every time you hear a politician speak, you're hearing a lie. It's like, We just, human beings are surrounded by lies and believing lies is a sign that you cannot always trust your mind. The Bible talks about, let me read you a list studying what the Bible says about the mind. A troubled mind, a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. In other words, you got to be careful just because I think it doesn't mean it's true. And for some of us, our, our thoughts are broken, but they've been defining our reality. And that's a really unhealthy place to be. Just because I feel it doesn't mean it's accurate. There's a verse in Jeremiah 17, 9, which isn't, doesn't talk about the mind. It talks about the heart, but I'll explain that in a second. Listen to what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, sometimes the very deepest part of your inner life is lying to you. I've talked to people, I've been a pastor for 15 years or so. I've talked to people who have thought things like these. God could never love me. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I could never forgive myself. I need to make up for what I've done to God. If people knew the real me, they would never love me. And maybe you've believed something like that along the way. And I've talked to people who believe this down to the core of their beings. And here's the thing, every single thing I just said is a lie. These are all thoughts that might come from the deepest part of your inner life, but according to the Bible, they're untrue. And if you struggle with your thought life, you might need to study the Bible to learn what's true about God and what's true about you, and then you can slowly test your thoughts according to the truth of the Bible and bring your thinking into line with that. Now, I like being practical, like I said. So, connection card one more time. I promise it's not going to be every three minutes for the rest of the message. But um, Pastor Adam Mabry is the pastor of Aletheia Church, and he's a friend of mine. And he gave me a resource to help with this um, a year ago. And I used it in my own life. And I just found it just compellingly helpful. And I, wanted to, I asked him permission. He said I could share it with the church. Um, and it's called Faith Confessions. And what he's done is he's taken verses from the Bible and put them into first person. So you read them out loud as if they're true for me. So for God so loved me that he gave his only son or things like that. And you read these truths of the scripture out loud about your life. And it has a power to Reshape what you know is true about you from Scripture. So if you want that resource, check the box. We'll set, it's free. I'll send that to you in an email this week. And it, I'm, I'm, it, just check the box. It's powerful. And it helps realign your mind with the truth. All right, so I can't believe everything I think. Number three, to remove, re, renew my mind, I guard my mind from garbage. Philippians 4, 6-7 is a verse in the Bible that's about prayer and it's about peace and it's about anxiety and if you've ever dealt with some of those, buckle your seatbelt. This is the best verse in the Bible if you've got anxiety in your life but it's also about guarding and I want you to listen to what it says. It says, don't be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I I read that verse for years. I memorized it when I was in high school, and I thought it was about anxiety and peace and prayer, and it's about all those things. But look at that little word in there. Look at what it does for your heart and your mind it guards it. When you pray, God's peace guards your mind against anxiety. When you pray, God's hope guards your mind against depression. When you pray, God's goodness guards your mind against worry. Prayer is one way that you can guard your mind from garbage. But there's another way in the Bible to guard your mind, and that's to control what you look at. When uh, computers were first getting started, they used to have a saying, garbage in, garbage out, which is that if you feed bad info into the computer, you get bad info out. The same is true with your mind. What are you filling your mind with? Psalm 101.3 says this, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. And so you have to control what you take into your mind. You have to guard your mind from garbage. It might be something that does real damage to your ability to experience true intimacy, like pornography. But sometimes it's just much more subtle things than that. It might be something that makes the world look attractive and makes holiness look silly or old-fashioned. It might be a show that makes me wish that I was richer. It might be a magazine that makes me wish I looked more attractive or a novel that makes me discontent with the life and the spouse and the relationships that I have. According to Psalm 101, the real issue is this subtle approval that creeps into our minds when we're approving of things that are gross. It's gross stuff, but we still wish that we had it. Now, if you're not a Christian, I would never presume to tell you what to do or what not to do. Like, that's not my goal for you here today. But I want to tell you this just as an encouragement to you, that this is not a Christian. This is just a principle that's true because it's given by God to human beings. If you want to change your life, you have to change your thinking. And if you want to change your thinking, you have to guard your mind from garbage. And if you're a Christian and you're pursuing holiness, then this is essentially Non-negotiable. Like I've never met anybody who's like, "Man, I just long to be holy with my life," and also I'm just going to watch trash all the time. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read novels with really buff, chiseled guys on. Like it's just like it's like the silliest thing in the world. It just doesn't work that way. And you know, we talk about this once or twice a year, and people think you are really, really old-fashioned. And I think there's some principles that have been true in the past and are going to be true into the future, and this is just one of them. So. Believe it, don't believe it, whatever you want to do with it, that's fine with me. Number four, to renew my mind, I have to think about my thoughts. So many of us think thoughtlessly. We are careless with our thoughts. We buy into the lie of society that says, I can't control what I think about. That is a lie. And as a result, your thoughts run out of control. I have three little kids. I don't know if you've seen them. If you come to Renewal long enough, you'll see them. Every Sunday after church is over, they come down out of the kids' area and then they just run around like crazy people all over the room like banshees. And if you wanna get my, you know, for me, if I wanna get my children under control, there's a couple steps. Step number one, you have to catch them. That's the first step. Step number one, catch them. Step number two, you uh, you have to teach them to obey, to sit still for a little while and listen. Now, Your mind works the same way as my children. Our thoughts often run out of control. And if you want to change your thinking and renew your mind, you need to catch your thoughts and make them obey. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, listen to this, take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. You got to think about your thoughts. Don't let them drift by. When you have a thought, you need to grab it, capture it, inspect it. Say, what is this? Is it true? Does it line up with God's word? Does it match what the Bible says about me as a son or a daughter of God? Or is this thought negativity that I picked up when I was a kid? Is it verbal abuse that I started repeating silently to myself in my head? Because the thing about verbal abuse is, it's often taken over silently by the one who is abused and you start repeating it to yourself. Is this the voice of God or the voice of my stepdad? Is it in alignment with God's will and purpose for my life or is this self-pity? Is it filled with the love and hope of God or is this a lie straight from the pit of hell? You have to capture it, think about it and make it obey Christ. And if you are not sure, because that's hard, then what you need in your life is community. Life is better when you're connected to other people. Other people give you a perspective on yourself that you cannot gain any other way. You can look at yourself in the mirror, and you will still not see yourself as clearly as your five closest friends do. They see you. They know you. You have to have that community to help you sort through those thoughts, 2 Corinthians says you have to make it obedient to Christ. So if you catch a thought and you think, man, this is not from God, you might need to talk to yourself, and you might need to remind yourself of the gospel. Now, please don't do this out loud. Sometimes the difference between mental health and mental illness is just volume. Because if you say it to yourself, you'll be bringing life and peace and truth to yourself. But if you say it out loud, everybody's going to think you're crazy. But you've got to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to capture those thoughts, you need to bring them under the truth of Christ and don't let them run wild. And number five, to renew my mind, I focus my thoughts on godly things. You need alert, sharp thinking focused on the future so that you can make good decisions in the present. When I aim at a godly goal, you're not just saying I won't do this bad thing, you're saying, I have a goal that I'm moving toward, and that is carrying you away from the temptations and destructive habits in your life. First 1 Peter 1.13 says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You need to focus on godly things like the hope that God has for you in the future. Philippians 4.8 says the same thing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, it's not enough to say what you won't think about. The real change in thinking comes when you have a change in focus, and whatever has your focus has you. When, my, when I was a kid, my mom would bake cookies, not real cookies, because my mom did everything out of a can or a jar. And so she would get those Toll House cookies, and she would, she would bake them in the oven, then she would set them out to cool, and she would say, Jared, don't eat the cookies. And so what I would do is I would stand right next to the cookies while they were cooling and just think to myself, don't eat the cookies, don't eat the cookies, don't eat the cookies, and you know what happens next. I ate the cookies, right? That's what humans do because saying I'm not going to think about it is thinking about it. And let's take this from cookies to something crazy serious. If you say I'm not going to be like my father, I'm not going to be like my father, I'm not going to be like my father, guess what pattern is going to repeat in your life? I'm not gonna be like my mother, I'm not gonna be like my mother, I'm not gonna be like my mother. Guess what pattern is gonna repeat in your life? Because I'm not gonna be like my father is not a vision for the future. It's not a destination you're heading to. You need a focus, and the Bible says to focus on godly things, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Focus on those things, head towards those things, move towards those things. It's not that, it's not just I don't want to be like my dad, it's I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus, but it's easier said than done, of course. We live in a world we're bombarded by advertising every second of the day, lying to us about what really makes us happy, stoking deceitful desires. And that's why we need people in our lives. We need a community that keeps us focused on the main thing, that can show us when we are believing lies, that can encourage us to guard our mind from garbage. We need people. We need people who are going to help us focus on better things that are going to call us back together and say, listen, remember what really matters in the end. These things are passing away, but these things are coming. Let's head towards those things. If you want to focus on godly things, you're going to have to surround yourself with godly people. Now, if you would, take out your connection card one last time. Because on there, it says, sign me up for the community group connection event. And if you lack community in your life and you need to get connected, I wanna encourage you to do this. It will help your thinking to be surrounded by godly people who are aimed at godly things. And it's on February 9th, directly after the service, and if you come there, we will help you get connected. We'll take care of everything you need to make sure that you can find some other people and head on that journey to Jesus together. We're gonna start a men's group, a women's group, and a couple's group, at least three groups, and maybe some more. So I want to invite you to come and take that step. Take that small risk. It's going to be a step of faith for some of you so that you have the people in your life that you need to follow Jesus. As we end today, I think back when I was a younger man struggling in my marriage with broken thinking, one of the best gifts God gave me was he put some older couples in my life. They could see the ins and outs of our marriage. They would pray for us, and they would often call me out when I was self-righteous and needed to change, which was like all the time. And through that community and through those relationships, God brought some serious change into my thinking, and that changed my marriage, and it changed my life. And I really believe this. This is why I pastor a church, why we started a church, that God can do that same work in you. And he wants to do it through practical teaching. He wants to do it through people who care about you and know you. God can change your life. And I believe this, that because Jesus rose from the dead, deep, meaningful change is possible in your life. There is no person that is beyond the reach of God's grace and God's change. God is committed to helping you change your thinking because God is committed to helping you become more like Jesus.